continuing on in this letter from Paul to Timothy. You got down to the end of verse 6 this morning. But just to remind ourselves of the context of the remainder of this passage we'll be looking at, we will read together from verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Saviour and Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is to love, or is a love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the, with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. As we finished this morning, we looked at why Timothy has to be urged, why Timothy needs the mercy and peace and grace of God as he challenges the leadership of the church of Ephesus. We looked at how it's only been eight years, and within that eight-year period from Paul leaving them, sin has crept in. It has come in through the hypocrisy, through false religion, and through the Jewish law of being circumcised and a desire for money and a desire for many other things we're going to be looking at tonight. Paul has already expelled two of the leaders of the church and he leaves Timothy to finish the remainder of the work to put right Christ's bride, to put right the church. We finish with from a pure heart and a good sincere, or from a good conscience and a sincere faith. We look at verse 6 tonight. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. Vain discussions, teaching that leads nowhere. A discussion that is nothing but vanity. A discussion that leads nowhere to holiness or godliness, but a vain discussion that ultimately leads to death. And Paul expounds on discussions like this. If you turn in 1 Timothy to chapter 6, we read of such discussions in Chapter 6, verse 3. And Paul says that anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, 
dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. By godliness with God, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul says there, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He's addressing Timothy saying that these teachers are wandering away into vain discussions. They're leading the church into death. They're leading the church back into darkness. They're leading the church ultimately nowhere. And he builds on that in verse 7 after he says vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law. Desiring to be teachers. Jews, <coughs> Jewish rabbis, they wanted to be a teacher of the law. Not because they understood the law, not because they desired the law, not because they loved the law, the commandments of God, but rather they loved the prestige of the rabbi. They have vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law. They want, as we, if we have time this evening, to turn to Matthew, when we read about the rabbis, we read about the Pharisees. They desired the special seats in the synagogues. They desired the, the accompaniment, the accolade, the riches, the lifted up within society. They desired to be known as teachers of the law, even though what they taught was not even the law. As he says, without understanding. Without understanding, they desired the office of rabbi, they desired the prestige of rabbi, they desired to be an elder of the church, they desired to be a pastor of the church, they desired to be the one in whom, when they were studying the word, could have answers. Not true, biblical, uplifting, loving, caring answers, but a works mentality. They were bringing in circumcision. They were bringing in the Ten Commandments and twisting them and altering them. They were bringing in Judaism, works-based theology in, in and with the gospel. But they understood nothing of the law. They did not want to be concerned with the law. They did not want to have to learn the Pentateuch. We looked at it in the first week, last Sunday morning, of what Paul said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. To be a Pharisee, as we know, you have to memorize word for word the entirety of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. These elders, these pastors, these leaders had no time for that. They wanted the acclimate, they wanted the upliftedness, they wanted the praise, and they wanted the prestige without the knowledge. They did not care for God's word, they just used God's word as a platform for gain. We see that today everywhere. We have to turn on the God channel. We have to walk in and read the latest Christian book. It is the use of God's word for self-gain. It is the use and the twisting of God's word on a superficial level to be able to gain for themselves prestige. 
He goes on, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding, as we've said, either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know the law is good. It's important for us to remember that. We live in a day and age where the gospel is, as we know, faith alone, through Christ alone. We add nothing to the gospel. It is genuine faith in the atonement of Christ that gives us the imputation of righteousness. Not the infusion of righteousness. In other words, God gives us righteousness and we have to work alongside of it. But we are given the imputation of righteousness, a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is extra nuisance outside of us. Yet, with that righteousness comes the Holy Spirit. Comes a new birth. Comes a changing of our hearts and our minds and our desires, which should lead us to desire God's Word. So we know that the law is good. In fact, we will turn to Romans really quickly, to Romans chapter 3. We can understand the purpose of the law. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul says the law is good. Because the law brings knowledge of sin. No one can be made right or just under the law. And yet that is the very thing that these twisted uh, elders, pastors and leaders were speaking. Paul says the law is good. Jesus Christ said himself, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. It is only through the law of God that we understand sin. That we understand our need for salvation. This is why Paul goes on and says the law is good if one uses it lawfully. How do we know that we need a saviour? How do we know that we need Christ's atonement upon the cross? It's through the law. It's through what God gives us. The law points out how we have grossly sinned against a holy, holy God. That is the, the epitome of the Ten Commandments. It's meant to lead us to repentance. The Ten Commandments, as Paul says, is an unmeasurable amount we can never attain what the Ten Commandments said. It's one of the things that Jesus built upon on the Beatitudes. He goes deeper with regards to, he says, as we have time to turn back to, he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at another woman or another man in a lustful intent has committed adultery. We cannot escape the depths of God's commandments. The depths of where we should come to and the heights of how we should attain holiness. The law is there to lead us to repentance. But also, the law is there as God's measuring stick. That we should desire, even though we have the righteousness of Christ, we should desire and long and hunger and meditate on his word and his law. Love what God has commanded us to live like. Again, as we said this morning, it is by God's word alone is our only authority. As he goes on without understanding either what they are saying 
or the things about which they make confident assertions. They were taking all the legalism of the Judaizer, bringing it in to those who were set free from the enslavement of sin, those who were set free from the bondage of the law, the unmeasurable works that one would have to do, the unattainable heights to make yourself righteous enough before a holy God. In fact, Paul says it himself, of the law, I was blameless, and yet he still knew he was a sinner, the chief of sinners. Verse 8. Now we know, sorry, verse 8, we know the law is good if you use it lawfully. Verse 9. Understanding this, that the law is not, to, is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. As we just said, this is why we have the law, to bring sinners to repentance. He goes on. For those who strike their fathers, the mothers, the fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in concordance to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which they have been entrusted. One thing over time and unpack that. Paul cites the law as good. Paul cites it as good if used lawfully. And Paul now wants to cite the very sins that they were committing and standing on their Judaism and standing on their works. They were actually breaking the, the last five commandments of God's law and God's word. So he cites them in order, beginning with commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother. What does he say? For those who strike their fathers and their mothers. You're striking your mother. You're striking your father. You're beating those whom you know you should not. And by doing that, you're breaking God's commandments. You think you are a teacher of his word. You think that you're a teacher of the law. But you know nothing of what the law is. For you break the very commandments themselves. That one seems to be pretty straightforward. He goes on and says, For murderers, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And yet they were murdering people and doing it thinking that they were going to be able to be free of the guilt and the shame. In fact, they were breaking the very law of God and, the ch and number six of his commandments. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Paul, as I said, is doing them in order. And he says, for those who strike their fathers and the mothers for the murderers, in verse 10 he says, the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality. And this is one of the verses in 1 Timothy in which many theologians want to go down the road of liberalness. They cite that Paul isn't actually talking about one man loving another man or one woman loving another woman but talking about rape and homosexuality that was not the case for Paul does an in-depth exposit of God's word and his commandment which is the number 7 commandment you shall not commit adultery Jesus expounded on it by saying you've heard it said do not commit adultery but if you've been looked intently, lustfully at another man or woman you've committed adultery and Paul here cites it even further whenever we hear that word you shall not commit adultery we believe that that's anything for those who are married is it not? 
for those who are in a union for husband and wife. But Paul here goes further than that. He starts off by describing you should not commit adultery by saying the sexual immoral, those who lust. In our day it would be pornography. It would be any sort of an intent in the mind or any sort of an intent to gain any kind of sexual gratification. The sexual immoral is all-encompassing. He goes on and says, for men who practice homosexuality. So he says here that someone is an adulterer if they're having any kind of sexual practice outside of marriage. That is all-encompassing. He cites men who practice homosexuality, but you might as well cite in there boyfriends and girlfriends. You might as well cite in there anybody having any kind of sexualness that leads to gratification, throw in there even kissing. It's all-encompassing. You're an adulterer. There's nothing outside of it. He cites here God's clear command, you shall not commit adultery, for everything that has a sexual intent is based and solely for marriage. There's nothing I said, even though we live in a day and age where homosexuality is accepted. Boys and girls living together are accepted. Sex outside of marriage is accepted. Everything that is all along that is accepted. It's nothing wrong with watching, as we said this morning, TV that has sexual content in it. Magazine covers, newspapers, and this goes on and on. Paul cites a very hard-pitting message here in the beginning, because this is the very thing he's going to tackle later on, when he deals with the apparel and the non-modesty of dress. So again, what does it mean to commit adultery? Adultery is not just a husband and wife doing something outside of the marital union. It means that anything that you cannot do if you are married, you cannot do if you're unmarried. We use it in the context of a husband and wife. Anything that a husband cannot do against his wife, no one can do unless that person is their wife. For example, I am married, praise the Lord, for Does that mean in my marriage I'm allowed to go down the street and kiss somebody else? No, I'm not. So the same is in reverse. If you're not married, then why are you doing that? He goes on. Men who practice homosexuality and enslavers. You shall not commit adultery. Number eight of God's commandments is you shall not steal. Again here it seems to be odd that this is the thing that Paul would cite. In the midst of a commandment of theft, he says, enslavers. Why does he say that? Because again, these commandments of God are all encompassing. To steal someone's property is also to steal a human life. God is the owner of all man. No one is able to enslave anybody. In this day, it was rampant and right throughout history. It was rampant for people to be taken into slavery. Paul says here, God, I will not abide those who take others into enslavement. For you are stealing what is owned only by God. No man can own another man. No man can own another woman through the purchasing 
for only God can own that person. We belong to him and to him alone. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. He cites here two sins that he puts in line with the sexual immoral. He puts in line with homosexuality. He puts in line with the enslavers of people, which we would think about today, of the sex slave that is still rampant today. For the murderers and for those who hit their mothers and fathers, he said the liars are the same. You do not bear false witness. You do not lie. You do not perjure yourself with false testimony. There is no room within the bride of Christ for those who lie. For those who cut corners. For those who fill out forms untruthfully. And he goes on to say, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, he encompasses the tenth commandment, you shall not covet with everything else. You shall not covet, which is why he cites, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine is covetous. If you desire the things of this world, it is coveting. If you desire to be held up in esteem, it is coveting because you want what others have. If you desire costly apparel to have an external appearance that is pleasing to others, it is all contrary to sound doctrine, says Paul. And it is the breaking of the Tenth Commandment. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine and the gospel of the glory of God. Which I have been entrusted. It's a hard hitting passage that Paul cites. But it's a reminder for us once again as we sit. For many of us including myself. And sometimes we think that we are doing well. We are doing good. This entirety of what we've just read is not meant to lead us into guilt. It's meant to lead us into fear, yes. For the beginning of true wisdom happens in fear and trembling. To understand the depths of God's law, that's meant to lead us to one place, which is the only place we can run to, which is the grace and the mercy of the cross. Paul explains here, you cannot escape the depths of God's law. You think that you are right. You think you're doing well. But if you could actually understand how much we lie we enslave, we are sexual and moral at every glance of everything that comes before our eyes in a day and age where it is rampant everywhere. We strike our mothers and fathers, maybe not physically, but maybe verbally. We don't honor them. And then everything else is contrary to sound doctrine, to life and ministry that is exemplified not only by Timothy, but by Paul himself. This is where we'll end to me. But I believe it is sobering words for myself and for us here and for anyone who's listening online. What does it mean to be saved? This is what we're saved from. We cannot escape the law. It is too deep. It is too wide. It is too high. The only thing that we can do is fall on our knees before a holy God and plead as a publican pounded his chest and said, will you have a mercy on a sinner like me? 
We fight the good fight. We press in. We finish the race. We turn from the small things that is the leaven of sin that gets in and corrupts our minds. We turn from the contextualization of the gospel. We turn from the fact that we live in a city of some 14,000 people and where are they tonight? Are they in the churches because they have a fear of standing before a living God? Or are they at home because they believe in their own corrupted, in their own authority, in their own minds? that they are okay, right, or even holy. This is the problem in the church in Ephesus. This is the problem in every church, in every heart, in every place. The answer? The gospel. That's why Paul says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Why is the gospel glorious? Because it brings glory to God. That we who are incapable we who are no different than Lazarus, we cannot save ourselves, we cannot lift ourselves out of the death of sin, and yet Christ does. We cling to that faith, we cling to that hope, even if we feel that we have verged into any one of those things, or anything that is contrary to the gospel and sound doctrine, we come to the Lord in repentance once again and ask Him to change us and to keep us. His word says we will. If we come with a humble heart and a contrite spirit and say, Father, we are sinners, a people of unclean lips. May you be glorified through the fullness of my sanctification. The gospel of glory of a blessed God who mercifully, graciously reaches down and sovereignly selects those of us to be redeemed. Amen. I stand with credit